What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I'm going to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down 119. And uh, happy 2023 to everybody. We are, I guess we're going ahead and, and say we're, we're doing our theme. We're, we're yep. revisiting, doing sequels, the, 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 the quad S as we, <laughs> as we called it, which is the, the sequels, spinoffs and the spiritual successors. Today I have with me, Matt. Happy new year, friends. Yeah. Happy new year, brand new year, brand new theme. And we're starting off with uh, not a video game. We are starting off with a book. If everybody remembers, uh, a few years ago, we read through the book Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. And um, it was fitting because it took place in a video game for the most part. Uh, had a lot of themes of of pop culture references and and video game tropes and stuff like that. And well, now we're going to be doing Ready Player Two, which is the sequel. Uh, came out in 2020, so it's a couple years old now, huh? Three years old almost now. I uh, wow. did, not, did not realize that, but time does fly when you're having fun, I guess. And uh, Matt, obviously, um, our history with this is kind of the same, I would assume. Have you? Did you purchase? Have you owned this this movie? This book? Um, before we started this? Yeah, I've had it for about a year and a half or so. Um, I actually picked up the audiobook, so I'm listening to rather than reading this. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but it... I've had it, had it for a while. I think it was on, on sale at some point and I picked it up. Gotcha. So is the audiobook Will Wheaton again? Yeah, it certainly is. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I've, it's a, it's an interesting timing at the moment because, you know, in the interim, since we read Ready Player One, I did also read Armada by Ernest Klein. I got and about halfway through that. You, you definitely get his style comes through pretty, pretty strong in all all three of these books. Yeah, there's a shtick. Yeah, he's, yeah. So far, he's not the most diverse of authors. Um, but I would say no. Yeah. But then even even more relevant to right now is the the book I finished literally right before finishing or starting this book was the history of the future uh, about Oculus and the forming of the, of that company. And so it is kind of interesting to go from that book, which is nonfiction about virtual reality, into this book, which is like the far-flung future and, and kind of the fantastic version of virtual reality. So it, – it's almost like the before and after here. So it's some interesting comparisons and actually it changed a little bit of what I wanted out of this book. Having just come off this last book in a good way or a bad way, a little bit of a bad way, right? Okay. When you, not that I would take any of Ernest Klein's books. And, and another side thing that's interesting is Ernest Klein actually does the intro for that Oculus book. Really? Yeah. He does the intro because apparently while he was writing it is when Palmer Lucky was working on Oculus, uh, on you know, on, on his first versions of the Oculus. Right. And so there was a lot of synergy to the point that Oculus gave every employee a copy of Ready Player One <laughs> when they joined. Gotcha. And so there was a lot of overlap between the two. And even Ernest Klein, you know, he does um, like giveaways and, and, and kind of fun themed promotions for his books. And one of them, if you won, you got an Oculus Rift. So there, there's a lot of kind of overlap between who's inspiring who here. 
sure. And so that that piece of it, I I do like, and I find kind of interesting, right? You need, in many ways, some science fiction to stimulate people to try and make that fiction a reality. But then, you know, there's all always people then taking the reality and extrapolating it out into the future. So, both versions of that, I think, are are, are kind of the cool science to science fiction ecosystem. Right. So, man, uh, I guess his I I own this. So last year. Um, I began reading more. I made a, I made a conscious effort to read more um, during that time. Uh, I, unfortunately, I only got through four books, but that was okay. Um, so yeah, I, I also read Armada or part of it. I got I got about halfway through it, and you, you, you know we touched on it earlier. He, he, Ernest Klein most certainly has a shtick. He he has a shtick of really pushing nostalgia. And pushing a specific nostalgia, basically his nostalgia. It's almost yeah. like he's writing these books for himself. Is it me or does a lot of his books come off as fan fiction? Yeah, I mean, they they do. I think partially all those references where sometimes I feel like I'm meandering in and out of them. Like I recognize the vast majority of them. But yeah. I don't always have an emotional connection to all of them. Like, for example, I don't think I've ever seen War Games, you know, from the first book. Sure. And so, you know, a, a lot of the – not a lot of the references, but but some key references in the book had to do with that. So in some ways I'm, I'm – you know, I'm, I'm really close to it in one moment and then I'm farther away in the next moment. And, you know, I guess everybody probably has that kind of a relationship with it. But when it's so tightly intertwined with those references – and then, you know, one of the other things, at least so far in this book and in both of the other books, the characters aren't particularly deep. So, it, you no. know, it that also gives it a little bit of a fan fiction vibe where there there isn't really that depth or heft. On the other hand, it, it you know, it's pretty tightly written, which, you know, which is nice. There's a lot of callbacks and a lot of things that are stated and then referenced later. So, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's poorly written. In that sense, it feels no. like it's at least well edited. No, this, <laughs> nothing this, else. yeah, no, he, he's got a really good editor, but I think he does have a, a decent, I think he's trying to tell a fun story. Yeah, but it's very, but, it's very fast, fun and lighthearted. Yeah, but, but with shallow characters, I feel like to yeah. me, the only character I feel like that is fleshed out at all, it would be Samantha. Um, yeah. and, and, but I, I can see the thing is I can see parallels and I know he didn't plan on this cause it happened last year and he wrote the book. Apparently he started writing the book in 2018 and finished it in 2020. But, um, uh, I see some parallels to real world stuff. So <laughs> I guess I should say, or, how, man, how do I even start this? So <laughs> synopsis of the first book. I mean, if people have read along with us or have seen the movie, um, the movie changed a good amount of stuff, but, um, but for the most part, the overarching story was, was still there. Uh, they were doing an Easter egg hunt in this this virtual reality world, which has basically taken over the world. Everybody spends most of their time in the virtual reality world, the Oasis, rather than in the real world where everything's kind of crappy, aside from the people who are the top 1% kind of thing. Um, and it's an Easter egg hunt uh, where uh, the creator of this world, one of the creators of the world, um, uh, he passed away and said, I hidden this, this Easter egg. And if you guys can find it, you will inherit 
everything, my entire fortune, which he was a billionaire. Um, and, um, Wade Watts is our main character, him and a few other gunters as they're called, uh, started searching for, uh, the keys and the gates that lead to the Easter egg. Uh, Wade was the one who got it. He won. And, uh, at the end of the book, he was basically left with, with, um, Halliday, uh, James Halliday, uh, his, his entire fortune, including his property, his mansion, all that stuff. Um, and he also had full reign of the Oasis. He owns the Oasis. Um, Wade decided to split it with the rest of his Gunter crew, which was Samantha, known as Artemis, um, H, which was Helen, and Shoto, uh, which was a, uh, a young Japanese boy, um, who lost his brother, who lost his brother, who was also a Gunter in their crew, who was killed by the rival company, IOI, um, uh, yeah, and they tried to kill Wade. It was a whole big thing. It was a bunch of conspiracies and stuff like that. And I, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not finished with this book yet. So far, I feel like Ready Player One was a more exciting experience, I guess. Yeah, that that's my takeaway so far. And I guess we're a little bit less than halfway through the book. Yeah. But my takeaway so far is that I like Wade a lot more as a down on his luck kid living in the stacks. Yes. Than I do him as the not at all believable like head of this company and head of the Oasis. So the, that's the thing is so the first few chapters, I'd say probably what the first four chapters of this book, which is probably the first eighty pages, is basically I won the contest. Three years later, and what happened in those three years, basically, just like everything that happened, like I, you know, I became a billionaire, and and we were stars overnight. But then he, he he let the power go to his head, and people were talking trash about him, and he was a dumb kid, so he would go and like go into their since he had the robes of Agnarok. Not Ag, how's it pronounced? Anorak. Anorak. The, the robes of Anorak, he was basically user admin. He, he could, he could do whatever he wanted in the game. He could cloak himself. He could kill anybody who wanted to. He could do whatever. Um, and so people were talking trash about him. So he would, he would go and kill their characters in game. And, and that's one of the things about the Oasis is that since your money is tied to the Oasis, if you kill somebody and they have all their money on them, they lose all that money. You know, they lose all their gear, all that stuff. So it's almost like video games meets real world where like your status in the video game is kind of like your status in the real world too. Yeah. Um, so he was being just a complete douchebag. And I was going to say there was parallels to that because last year Elon Musk purchased Twitter <laughs> and I swear it feels like what if Elon Musk won the Easter egg hunt <laughs> and became a billionaire and said, I'm running this thing. <laughs> do anything I want. Yep. And just be, you know, just be kind of like a douchebag. <laughs> so uh, 
And the, the thing is, and this is one of the things that Ernest Klein likes to do, is take a theme and beat it over your head while he's writing his stories. And obviously it's going to, you can tell from the beginning, this is going to be, oh, we see Wade being a douchebag and we're going to have his comeuppance and then there's going to be a life lesson of maybe I shouldn't be a douchebag. You know, the theme of last, the first book was virtual reality bag, go outside kids, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I feel like he, he definitely is trying to beat that over your head. I know that this, this book, was this book critically panned? I'm not sure. I know the, 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 the population at large seemed to like to rag on this book. They like to rag on the first book too. Yeah. I don't think it was, I mean, Armada also wasn't super well received. Right. And I, I don't, you know, seems like Ready Player One so far is his, his best work, certainly the most original of the three. Right. So I, I, I don't know. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's that piece, that simplicity of the message, the repetition of the message and, and the shallow characters that all give it a very young adult vibe. Yeah. As far as books go. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I, I'm not hating the book. I don't think. I think there are aspects that I'm just like, you know, I, I it's been a long time since I read Ready Player One, and I know he had a bunch of references, like pop culture references, and and would just go into like deep detail of like the Commodore 64, you know? Yeah. Um, and in this one, I feel like he, he, he does pop culture references, but he doesn't go into deep detail. It's almost like he's just name throwing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. You really like the eighties. I get it, man. Like (laughs) it was just, it's so strange, you know, but then there was, there was a part I read. I remember I can't, it was one of the worlds that he was, he was going to where he talked about Sonic the Hedgehog and he went into detail a little bit about the lore of Sonic the Hedgehog and like the chaos emeralds and stuff like that. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I feel like he knows video game stuff, which is more of what I'm interested in. When it comes to like, you know, a computer from the 1980s and how powerful it was compared to another computer in the eighties, I'm, that's beyond me. I I don't like you're, you're talking gibberish and it's almost like you're just, you're flexing your nerd or something. Yeah. That's where it's kind of interesting, right? Because one of the points where he references an old computer, I think he talks about, I don't know if it was Og or, or Halliday, but their first computer was a TRS-80 color computer, too. Well, that's almost exactly what I just literally bought from Canada, so it's kind of funny. Um, I bought a TRS-80 color computer, like, two months ago. And so this old, like, little thing that's in my room here, hooked up to a CRT TV, is the kind of thing that Wade would like, right? It's, right? You know, it's it's the thing that fits with. All right, well, this ties into Halliday's life, therefore we need to know it. That's the thing, though. It's not what Wade would like; it was what Halliday would like, and Wade likes what Halliday likes. Yeah, well, yeah, the whole world likes what Halliday likes. Exactly. Right? It's because he he kind of ruled the world. You know, it, it's so strange. But yeah, so uh, you know, he at the end of the first book, he was in love with. Artemis, Samantha, and um, they, you know, dated. But unfortunately, after his douchebaggery, um, she broke up with him, and he hasn't actually gotten over it. 
Um, H and Shoto have kind of went off and did their own thing. They still meet up occasionally. He's, I think he said like once every couple of months or once or twice a month or something like that, they get together and, and, and hang out. But Samantha's pretty much dropped off talking with, I think the majority of them. Um, and yeah, certainly Wade. Yeah. She's been using her fortune to try to better the world in the real world. Like by starting like multiple, uh, I guess like food banks or, or, you know, like, um, like feed the, yeah, feed the world kind of thing. Yeah. Cause that was her big thing was that she wanted to make sure the world, nobody in the world was ever hungry. So she wanted to do it that way. And the um, four of them do still meet every, is it once a month for the co-owners meeting? Is it once a month or quarterly? Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember. But, um, you can tell that Wade, he, like he, since he has the full admin rights to the Oasis, he can basically spy on anybody. Um, and he, he has at least once a week spied on Samantha to see what she's doing, uh, much to his chagrin, um, because she, she's never really thinking about him or doing anything with about him. So, um, yeah. Um, the, uh, sorry, my, my, the cats are going nuts <laughs> and, um, my wife is yelling at them currently. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, they, 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 they have their quarterly meetings. Um, and one of the big things is, is that, uh, uh, IOI, um, the rival company, that created a bunch of like haptic uh, gloves and headsets and stuff like that to log into the Oasis. The rival company um, was bought out uh, basically like a hostile takeover from their company, which is GSS uh, gregarious something simulation system, systems. simulation systems. Um, so they're pretty much out of the picture now um, with. Surrend- uh, I, I thought that was a funny little piece where, they were suing Wade. Yeah. Because when he worked at IOI in book one, they said, well, basically everything he achieved, including winning the whole uh, competition, was their ownership because basically he worked for them at, at that time. Yeah. He and was, then, he was an, an indentured servant to them. Yeah. An indentured servant. And so apparently he's just being sued. And that lawsuit is just continuing until GSS just buys out IOI and then shuts the whole thing down. Yep. You can't sue sue us if we own you. <laughs> yeah, if you're a part of us. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah. Um, uh, Sorrento, who was the president of I- IOI, has been sentenced to, I, I, I think it's a death row, right? He's on death row for... for Conspiracy yeah, so. to murder and for the murder of, uh, uh, is it Dido? Was that his name? Shoto and Dido? Yeah, D- Dido got thrown off the balcony, but then also the bombs in the stacks. Yeah, the bombs in the stacks that killed like his aunt and a bunch of other people. They were trying to kill Wade, but he wasn't there at the time. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's in prison, uh, on death row for that. So there's your villain gone. Um, and when they decided to, um, you know, 
uh, start this start or take over the company as the the four of them. They asked Ogden Morrow, which was the other guy who created the Oasis, the, the partner to James Halliday, if he would come in as an advisor, and he said he's good. I don't I don't need anything. I don't need anything else from this company. Just want to live out my retirement kind of thing. Um, am I missing anything that happened in the three years? Uh, when in that time frame does he discover the Oni? Um, so that, that's, I think that's, that's years, right? I think that's, it's in the three years. I think it's within the first year of him taking over yeah. and then he releases it. And in that, those three years they sold like a bill, two billion of them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's probably the biggest thing that happens in those years. Yeah. For I, the Oasis itself. Yeah. He spends about a chapter talking about it. So basically he took over Halliday's mansion, like his real world mansion. And, um, through, it was through something that he was, he was in the Oasis where Halliday had set up like his castle. He noticed in the simulation, there was something there that wasn't there before. And through following clues and stuff like that, he realized that there was something hidden in the GSS headquarters. And so he went to the headquarters and found it. And it was a special headset. Uh, he had dubbed it the, the O N I. Um, and I think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Cause he, he says it specifically O N I, even though it's Oni. And he says it's also an Oni is a Japanese demon. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's basically a headset that uh, instead of having to use virtual reality goggles and haptic gloves connects you to the Oasis through brain waves. Essentially a jack into the matrix. Yeah, basically. So this is the part that was ruined for me a little bit just from having read the Oculus book, because so much of what's good about that other book are some of the challenges. And even in that book, I, I, I missed what they had done so well in Masters of Doom, which is to talk about some of those advancements. You know, And, and it's quite the art to be able to talk about something so technical in a simple enough way that a layperson can understand it. They do that, you know, the best I've ever seen in Masters of Doom for Carmack's, like, creations. And then, you know, Carmack's back in Oculus, because he was the CTO. Um, and, and they do some of it there, but they don't do it as well. But they talk about some of the, uh, you know, some of the advancements that were made. And, and I don't need to know the technical detail, but it's impressive when you can be almost, like, awed. Like, oh, this is this is a thing that this person figured out and they were the person that figured it out. Like that's, you know, that's pretty interesting. Sure. The one thing that kills me about this book is when they talk about things as big or complicated as, well, now we're just taking whole mappings of the human brain and every single sensation that a person has is now mapped and digitized. Well, that's cool, but that's also 
so complex and so different from where we are today technologically that I wish they would have just put in a couple of steps, even if it's still hand-waving, but just to say, well, here's how they were able to do that. You know, Halliday the Genius did X, Y, and Z, and that allowed us to do this. Yeah. But they they don't ever do that. And not, maybe I shouldn't expect that they ever would, but coming off of the last book that was so like, here's the reality, here's the challenges we had, and here's how we overcame them, to this book where they're like, yeah, we just made a, a you know, a, a ridiculously large leap in technology and don't don't even ask how or why, you know. It just, it it's what takes me one step out of the book. Like, it, it makes it feel less real, realistic to me because if this were real, that's a thing that they would sing the praises of. Like, this was a genius maneuver to figure this out. Here they don't mention it because, I don't know, maybe it just, you know, that's not the level of detail that has gone in, been gone into for this world, but it's yeah. the kind of thing that had it been there, I would have been like, oh, cool, this is, you know, not that I believe this is any kind of reality, but it, it, it would have made it feel a bit more real, more stepwise to get from where we are today to where they are in the book. Yeah. So basically, this headset, which, you know, it's basically like a a cranium thing. I, I'm, I'm imagining it like... Um, like a skull cap that then goes down the back of your neck kind of thing. Yeah. Is how I'm imagining it. Now I might be wrong. Um, but basically it, it attaches to your head and using, I guess, brain sound waves or something like that. Um, puts the, the user into a deep sleep to where they can, log into the Oasis or do other things, including it's basically, gosh, like I'm trying to imagine like, like things like in movies or, 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 or TV. Yeah, it's shows. like an induced coma. Yeah. It's, it's an induced coma, but you still have usage of your brain and your brain is basically doing the things that you're programmed into. Your so it's basically synced up to your avatar instead of to your body. Exactly. Which means you can feel everything and it feels real. You can eat something and it feels, you can taste it. You know, you, everything that you can imagine. Um, it's basically like you're having a very vivid dream and, and, but you can control it. Um, and there's no need for, you know, gloves or a headset or anything like that because you are basically your avatar. Um, I think the one thing he did mention was unlike the matrix, if you get hurt, you don't get hurt in real life as far as I can tell. Yeah. They put like a damper on it so you can feel pain, but only a very light version of it. Right. Um, and obviously, if you eat something in in the oasis, you're not full in real life or anything like that. It just gives you the sensation, but as soon as you log out, you're back to normal human you. Um, one of the big things is, um, and they push it a good amount, is that there is a 12 hour limit. You can only be logged into this thing for 12 hours. After that, it will automatically log you out because there has been. Apparently they did some private testing and they found that after you go past the 12 hour limit, you can suffer brain damage. Or if you take it off while it's in use without properly logging out first. 
you can have brain damage. Oh, really? Yep. Those are the two warnings I think that they give at the beginning. Gotcha. So there you go. Um, so yeah, he finds this prototype hidden away and it has the schematics. It comes with the schematics, the, the instructions, everything like that. So Halliday had completed this, but kept it secret. And Wade's like, this is amazing. He showed it to everybody that was part of the, the, the board of directors, I guess. Uh, H and Shoto were all about it. And Samantha was like, hell no. Do not use this. Do not release it to the public. It will create... The one thing that we wanted was to get people to log out and enjoy their lives. You do this, they'll never log out. Yeah, they're going to be even more addicted. Yep. But uh, as they put it to a vote, unfortunately, Samantha got voted out of that one. And uh, they released that to the public. And it's kind as, of a tough uh, voting system they've got with four people. Yeah. somebody It's either tie or guaranteed lose or win. <laughs> so there's, there's, not much, there's not much leeway there. Um, but yeah, they released it to the public, uh, I think, in the f- second year that they were owners. Um, and uh, it sang, sold like gangbusters. I think uh, uh, where we begin the story, I think he sold 2 billion units. And he, he, I think he was saying like only 10% of the people don't use them now. Yeah. Um, and it made them bukus of money. Tons and tons of money. So they are wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, and Which I'm, so far to me seems like the th- if the theme of the first one was that you know you should go outside and not spend all your time in the simulation, the theme of this one so far pretty much seems to be, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. <laughs> like yeah. Wade's just a dick. The more money he gets, the more famous he gets. The more power he gets, the more of a dick he is. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Um, Which is one of the big issues that I have with the beginning of this because, I mean, obviously people would would navigate that situation mentally very differently depending on the person. But it's weird to me that he has an amount of self-awareness to say, I've become... The, like the one percent, the point zero zero one percent. I'm I'm the richest person around. I can do whatever I want, and I and I know that that is can be a bad thing. It's weird for me to have him say things like that, but then continue to do things like specifically uh, betray people's privacy or yeah. the the things that he continues doing. It's it's not like he. You know, a lot of times it could be like a slippery slope, right? Where you don't really think what you're doing is bad or you're in denial a bit. And then when you finally realize it, you change your ways. It's almost worse that I feel like he knows the whole time but keeps choosing to do it. Yeah. He, like, he, like, I know I'm being a dick, but I'm going to do it anyway. But who's going to stop me? Yeah, who's going to stop me? Which I guess, is he the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it seems like. I don't know. Yeah, so it's, it, it is it, in some ways it's interesting, I guess, to to have somebody go from the underdog hero to 
you know, to the bad guy, but it's still all told from his perspective. Yeah. But I, I just I don't think they do enough with it to make it interesting. Yeah, it just it's just it's just like we're gonna make him a dick now. In in the same way they handle Samantha for me. Because I like I can't she she comes off in the first few chapters especially as just very like petulant. Well I don't like what you're doing, I'm leaving. Like I can just imagine her with her arms crossed, stamping her foot, pouting. I'm like these are supposed to be four people. They've gone through a lot together. They they disagree on this subject of whether the the ONI should be released, but they never ever have like a real debate. It's just like her spouting off some like this is bad. It's going to corrupt people. Blah blah blah. And then everyone else is like, no, it's not. Or it, you know, we can deal with it. They never actually have like a debate about it, and it it, it really makes them feel more like. You know, like kids or like teenagers, and I know they're meant to be young, but it it, it comes off almost with everything that they've gone through. It, it it just doesn't feel quite right to me. Yeah, I feel like they would have had a deeper conversation about it, and it doesn't appear that they ever have. Yeah, I I mean, I guess that is one of the things is like if it's been three years have passed, Wade H and Samantha were all in high school, so. I would assume they're 23 max in this. The only person that we know for for real is young would be Shoto because they actually mention it. Shoto's 18 now. When they they won the contest, he was only 15, I think. And, like, he's apparently they're they're having a... uh, He's already married and, and has a child on the way because he's trying to be an example because Japan has like a really bad like underbirth uh, rate going on where nobody's having children so he wanted to be an example for it and stuff um which I would say Wade is probably 22 23 at the most yeah so I don't know uh um uh, yeah I mean you would think they would they would have advisors trying to tell them, you know, this is not a good idea. Yeah, and that's the other thing. These four people don't at all feel like they're running a company. No. Plus, what's his name, Faisal? Is the, this a, you know, is, the business is, guy? Is this a new guy? He wasn't I in the first one, right? I think it's a new guy. Okay. But it, it, it doesn't, like, when, when he was a 16-year-old kid living in the stacks and trying to escape his not-so-great life, it makes sense that coupled with Halliday's, uh, you know, challenge that he would spend all his time thinking about 80s trivia and stuff. But for him to still act this way when he's supposedly responsible for this company, I mean, has he made any decisions in this company other than to release the ONI or not? I don't know. I assume I assume this is his job. This is what he does every day, but you don't get any sense that he's been living a corporate life for years. He still acts like a child. I, I will make a I'll make a reference. Uh you remember the movie Little Big League? <laughs> yeah. It's that. <laughs> you give a, a kid is now the manager of a baseball team. <laughs> yeah. Um or or Richie Rich, like it's a kid trying to run run the show. Yeah, Richie Rich. 
so I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Um, but they, they're definitely taking on some more real world stuff. I mean, obviously people are trying, you know, they're trying to, most, all of them are trying to use their money for charities and stuff like that. And I mean, even Wade, um, but, uh, I don't know. It, it, it does come off a little like, is this play time? Yeah. <laughs> but then there's times where he's like, he tries to take charge. Like whenever we'll, we'll get into it, but like when he's, he's trying to do an investigation and stuff like that. I'm like, how old are you? Are you, are, are you trying to be an adult here? Um, I don't know. It, it, it feels weird. Um, just a little bit. So yeah, um, I guess that leads up to the third year where all this starts happening. Um, well, no, it, it was it was a year when the new Easter egg hunt started because it's been a year. Um, so I guess once the what was it? It was, it, it was, revealed. so the only gets released. Yeah. The only gets released. And I think that's when stuff started activating. I think as soon as they hit something like 777 million people logged in simultaneously with it. Yeah. It triggers. Yeah. And it's a, it's a new Easter egg hunt, which seems to be only geared toward the owners of the company. Yeah. The, the, the heirs, the Anorax air. Um, and it is in regards to finding these six shards, um, the six shards of the siren, which Wade starts to think it had something to do with, I guess, all right, so it's Ogden Morrow's wife who passed away in a car accident years ago. She played a part in uh, the first book as well. James Halliday was very interested in her at the time and had developed a crush and an obsession with her. And he used some of her that knowledge to basically start the Easter egg hunt from the first book. And this one seems to be centering around her completely. Yeah, because um, they're looking for the siren's soul, and they're basically saying she is the siren. Yeah. And uh, to make the siren whole again or something like that. Yeah. And I think primarily because one of the big things that that Og Halliday and and her did, Kira, did when they were younger was have a, a D&D campaign, and she based her character around... Or her, the name of her character uh, Around was her, was a siren. Was a, was a siren, yeah. So, um, but it seems to be only for the owners, um, because it seems because it looks like it's it's geared toward their heirs. So, Wade's like, okay, well, it says another Easter egg hunt. What does this lead to? I have no idea. Um, so he, he, he starts looking, starts starts scouring the oasis again to try and figure out what this all means to try and find the shards. I, I feel like the other members don't really care. 
or maybe they do and they just they gave up after a while i mean what 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 do i care i'm a billionaire yeah and yeah a couple of questions i had there was yeah were were they looking because lots of people in the world are in the oasis are looking for it sure um i think this actually was live for two or three years before the book starts basically and they haven't found anything yeah um but then Another question I had back to his running of the company: How much time is he spending on this? Is, is this what he's doing as his job, or does he have a job and he's doing this in the evenings? But you know, I know he only can log in with the ONI for twelve hours, and then he does say that sometimes he logs back in with his normal haptics after the fact. Right. So I mean, he could be doing both. I just I don't I don't get any. Any clarity, really, on what his role is at the company? I don't think he has a role at the company. I think he is the figurehead. Yeah, figurehead that makes a few decisions. That would make more sense. That's what I get from it. That's why they have the little quarterly meetings where they say, "Okay, vote yes on this or no on this," and that's it. And you guys have a good one. Input, you think? I I I think it is. I think it is. I really do. Well, that would definitely make some more sense, right? It, It it. it supports how he has time to do the search. It supports maybe why he hasn't changed as much as in my mind he would have. Sure. Um, and so I, I guess he's just spending his time either in the Oasis or on his, you know, holidays estate. Yeah. Just, um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, uh, a year ago, I'll just put it this way. A year ago, he put out to anybody, um, basically just a big message saying, um, if anybody can give me information that leads me to a shard, I will give you a billion dollars and has a contract and everything. And so they, a, a whole new set of, of gunters started popping up trying to find it. Um, one of them, I like, <laughs> I like that tiny little aside where, they were calling themselves charters. Yeah. And then people started calling them like sharding charters, like shart. Yeah. <laughs> so they changed their name back to Gunders. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, uh, the, there is a very, I guess a popular, I, I, I wouldn't call it a YouTuber or a streamer. Um, yeah, basically. How do you, how do you pronounce this name? Uh, like Lowengard? Is it Lowengard? Uh, I thought so. Lowengrin. Lowengrin. Um, who, um, reaches out, sends an email. So Wade set up an email basically for this, the tips line, and he set it up to where, uh, anything that was bogus or anything that was, um, a dead end or something like that would, would get filtered out. And only a few emails really come in that that could be legit tips. But he takes notice in this one because he's actually a subscriber to this person's um, channel. Um, and he and, set up such elaborate filters that almost nothing gets through. Yeah. And this one seemed to be legit, saying, I, I know exactly where a shard is. I've, I've, I've seen it. Um, and I will take you to it for the billion dollars. And so he's like, okay, well, 
seems like I'll I'll need to uh investigate this. So um he uses his admin rights to figure out where this person is and um finds them at a location. It's actually one of the planets um that uh, Halliday had created that was completely modeled after his his neighborhood back in nineteen eighty six. Six, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, nineteen eighty six. And um he 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 teleports there and uh is invisible and he notices that the Avatar is uh is sitting there with their eyes closed, which means that they're focusing on something else currently at the moment. Um he you know, uses his admin rights again. He and it, the whole time he's doing this, he's like, "I'm spying on these people, and it's wrong to do this, but I'm doing it anyway." Yeah. And uh, he logs into what he knows is they're in a chat room. He follows them into the chat room and doesn't reveal himself and listens to their conversation. And uh, it's it's a whole group of of gunters. Uh, I think there's four or five altogether. All seem yeah. to be like a, a ragtag team, like much like his old team. And they modeled themselves after the old team, right? Because it was the, like the high five was Wade's group, and this is the low five for, yeah. for for Lohengrin. Yep. And uh, their YouTube channel's the lowdown. Yep. And uh, they all are having a discussion of like uh, everybody doesn't believe her. Ah, you, you don't know where one is. It's like, yo, I totally do. And when I get that billion dollars, I'm going to buy us our own house giant house and I'm going to move all you guys in and we're going to just live the good life. We're going to get out of this this dump that we've been living in and have a better life for ourselves and everybody's like are you really going to do that for us? And they're like absolutely. And everybody had a nice little sad crying happy moment and um, it made Wade feel kind of sympathy for these people. And a bit um, of nostalgia for what he used to have. Yeah. Uh, he then goes a step further to figure out who these people are in real life. And um, one of the things I should mention is that um, when you are logged in through the ONI or the ONI, um, you are helpless. You, you, you are laying there basically comatose. And there has... Uh, he he said there's been reports of people being robbed, murdered, raped, all sorts of stuff while people are in the oasis logged in and not even realizing it. So a lot of people have taken measures to basically have a live video feed while logged in so you can watch your own body to make sure nobody's messing with you. It's funny how many times they mention in the book that the Oasis GSS is not legally responsible for whatever happens, whether it's a malfunctioning headset or somebody getting robbed or killed while they're in the system. Like they make, they make a real point about talking about them not being legally responsible. Well, they don't want to get sued, obviously. Yep. But, um, and, and he takes those measures as well. He has a damn fortress up under Halliday's mansion where, uh, uh, he gets into what is almost like a spider tank. <laughs> yeah, spider tank coffin. 
Yep. Where he, he, it's fortified. It's got machine guns on it, rocket launchers on it. And he's like, yeah, I have my own tank that I sit in whenever I log into the Oasis, just in case somebody wants to come get me because everybody knows where I live. My address is, is common knowledge to everybody. That visual is one of the things, another one of the key things that makes this feel almost like it was written by a kid. Like, oh, wouldn't this be cool if I had machine guns and lasers <laughs> and rocket launchers attached to my, my protective walking coffin here? Yeah. I don't know. It, it just it, it feels like it's like, oh, what, what would be cool? What would I have drawn as a six-year-old to, you know, to cover what I would want? out of this if that's not crazy enough we forgot to mention another thing that pissed off samantha even more apparently wade shoto and h pulled a lot of their money together to build a spaceship yep that can fly to alpha centauri (laughs) yeah and they could if if Bad things happen on Earth. They can then just fly away <laughs> and then just, you know, go start anew on another planet in Alpha Centauri. This is in the book. <laughs> yeah. Again, kind of ridiculous. Very it ridiculous. Very ridiculous. I mean, he spent he spent a good couple of paragraphs talking about how he logged into one of the robots on the spaceship and looked at at, at their, their their digs yeah, in space. It's called the yeah. Okay. I, I okay. This one got a little bit more we like fantastical, right? Yeah. Am, am I like the first? It feels book, less grounded. Like yeah, right. These right? types of ridiculous things, like his spider tank and his spaceship, coupled with. That that lack of like reality and grounding and like this is how we achieved some of these things just makes it feel like it's very cartoony or like a twelve a year old kid's wish fulfillment. This is what I would want if I was king of the world. Yeah, or my own spaceship. Um, <laughs> they even make a reference to um, uh, existence. Which is uh, funny that that actually just played here in Boston last night. I had it on a, a list of things I might want to do in January. It played have, at a theater theater you, last night. You have fun. I watched that movie once, and that's <laughs> enough for me. That uh, movie's dumb. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> it all that well. I remember it being kind of crazy. The fact that he got both Willem Dafoe and Jude Law to be in that movie, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I guess to say, I did not go last night to watch it, but I I guess the Cronenbergs have a lot of weight. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I don't, I don't know how David Cronenberg's got anybody to be in his movies. They're very strange and, and, and not good. If you ask me, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's some weird stuff. Like the first book was completely grounded in reality. I could see, you know, Sure, it's fantastical in the fact that, like, in the future, everybody logs into this network. There's a guy who 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 is a a a I, I, may have been a multi millionaire, could have been a billionaire, who realized that th- these kids may take over my business. I need to get rid of them. He hires some people to go blow up their house 
I could see that happening. I'm sure that's happened in real life at some point. Um, and that makes more sense, but to, to, to have a, a wild, wild west walking spider tank (laughs) and a spaceship that will, will totally start a new civilization on another planet. Now we're getting into some weird stuff that doesn't exist. (laughs) Doesn't even exist in the game world as far as, or I mean, in, in the world of Ready Player One, it's all just like stuff that apparently, as a multi-billionaire, he's financed over the last few years. Right. But again, no, like, if everybody's in the Oasis, who's actually out there creating? Where are all the scientists and the right? engineers that would that would know how to create a spaceship? I mean, I, I guess maybe they could still be learning. They. They do do they do um, all their schooling in the Oasis, so maybe also, progress hasn't actually slowed just because it's virtual. They know. also have incorporated a bunch of robots to do stuff because that's also yeah. in this book a lot, which wasn't in the first book. Yeah, helper robots, helper robots, the yeah, yeah, uh, automations Shabby. and stuff like that. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, back 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 to the to the story at hand. Um, so he 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 spies on these people. I say all that to say that um, he actually logs into the webcams that are pointed at these people, <laughs> so he can see them and see what they actually look like. Because he was curious, um, because he mentions that it, was it Lodgren. Yeah, Lohengrin. Lohengrin. Um, because he noticed that in some of the videos or live streams or YouTube channels or, or whatever, um, sometimes she changes from a female avatar to a male avatar and stuff like that. And he was like, okay, I got to know. Because he had he developed a crush on her. And um, he makes it a point. So I have to bring it up. He makes <laughs> it a point that um, he looked at the profile and said, saw that um, it was it's a female that was assigned male at birth, so a transgender person. Um, and then he goes on this long. It, it's almost like he wanted to have this in the story. Klein wanted to have this in the story, but then he had to say, "But, but it's you know, it's okay. I'm talking about this because the Oasis allows you to experience sex in all different kinds of ways and stuff like that. I mean, dude, you don't have to justify." Like yeah. the whole time I was reading, I was like, "You don't have to justify this by explaining it." I get it, yeah, you know. But anyway, and, and Wade says, "Like, oh, this would have bothered me a few years ago, but now that I've had virtual sex of every kind, I, it, I'm much it, more open than I used it to be." Opened my mind, you know, and I, I was like, "Okay, well, that." Once again, he likes to take it and bash it over your head. Yeah, yeah. You the idea is not bad. It's just all right. We get it. So yeah, um, so he, 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 but he, he also sees on the camera, like this person looks malnourished, you know, lives in, in what looks like a, like a stack, like how he used to grow up. So it reminds him of him. So, um, after spying on them, he, he's like, okay, all right, all right. I, I've, that's enough. I should, I should log, log out of this chat room, gets out of the chat room. And, um, 
decides to reveal himself to her. And it's like, hey, and he's trying to he's trying to put on this big persona. He's like he's like he folds his arms and kind of like <laughs> looks like I think wiz- he says he adopts a wizardly pose. A wizardly pose. I'm I'm thinking Gandalf <laughs> standing there. Yeah. Um and uh uh she's all about it. She she loves it. She's like, "Oh my god, it's you." And like it's a pleasure to meet you and stuff like that. And he's like, "So uh you you do have uh you do have some information for me?" And she's like, yeah, I do, but uh, could you please state for the record that you are going to pay me a billion dollars when I give you this information? And he's like, yep, I promise you, you've already signed your contract whenever you sent that email to me. Um, but there is a stipulation. You cannot tell anybody any of this information for the next three years. Or I need a head start. Yeah, or until I find all the shards. And she's like, you got it. And he's like, okay, so how do you do this? She's like, well, we have to start here. So where they started was um, in the basement of Ogden Morrow. Ogden Morrow uh, uh, invited everybody over, Halliday and a bunch of other friends, and Kira to play Dungeons and & Dragons and hang out and stuff like that back in the 80s. I think this was 80, 86 or 84. I can't remember. 86 maybe. Um and this model completely after 1986. And he said, so we're looking for Kira specifically. She didn't live here, but she did live three blocks down, but not until 1988. And this entire simulation is based on 1986. So we all scoured this location and couldn't find anything to time travel. They tried everything. They tried using the DeLorean to time travel. They tried... What was the other thing they they time traveled with? I can't remember. Uh, it was some kind of handheld thing. Yeah. That I think might have been in the first game. Or first book. But um, but the time travel didn't work. So there has to be a trick to it. And the trick is that they had, they had found a calendar. Uh, a, a wall calendar... Uh, that was for 1989. And they're like, okay, well, this wasn't here originally. Seems like it materialized um, after the, the Easter egg had started. Because Wade was like, I've been through this this entire house a million times and have never found this. Well, they a- found As it. have like millions of other people. Yeah, in fact, they even had a Wikipedia based on it. Yeah, with, with every item in the room like cataloged. Exactly. So it seems like things have, uh, the simulation has changed, uh, if you will, once this new Easter egg has, uh, hunt has started. So uh, they, they, there's a, a wall counter for 1989. He puts it up on the, it removes the old calendar and puts the new calendar on and it automatically starts time traveling. Like, it, it, like how you see like a time lapse of sun, night, sun, night, sun, night, sun, night. Um, and they are now... Nighttime in 1989. They then moved down three blocks to where Kira's new apartment was. And now it's completely decked out. Originally, it was just completely, it was just blank. It was just an empty, uh, empty room, basically. Now it's decked out in how she would have had it back in 1989. So, um, I can't remember how they made this shard appear. Or does it just appear after you time travel? 
Uh, no, they had to do something else. What was it? I can't remember what it was. I literally read this yesterday. <laughs> um, it has something to do with like her drawings, right? Yeah, because they were they were big on like she would take like uh, graph. Oh no, paper. this was the songs. This was the songs. That's right. This cassette. The cassette. Yeah, the cassette. Yeah, she the made a mix song. Yeah, yeah. She made a mixtape, um, and uh, uh, the Smiths um, would play. I can't remember the name of the song, but it was it was one of the Smith songs. And um, they had to put in a cassette player, play it, and that's when the shard appeared. Um, but the shard can only be picked up by an heir. So when she tried to reach out to it, her hand would just go through it. When Wade touched it, he grabbed a hold of it. And as soon as he picked it up, uh, the scoreboard the old scoreboard from the first book updated with Parzival now having a shard, a single shard. He also then had a flashback when he touched it, which was that, interesting. That's correct. So when he touched it, he had, he had basically a vision. Um, and it was a vision of what he believes is Kira when she was nine. Because he saw her, he saw he saw her reflection in in a computer monitor. I think I can't remember or a TV yeah, screen. Yeah, I think so. Because she's in a he's in a classroom, right? And uh, it only it was only for a few seconds, and he was just like, "Whoa, that was weird." Um, and it was almost like it. So, all right. So that's one of the things I should mention that we didn't talk about was with the Oni, you can record yourself, right? Um. And basically do like a memory record. So I could record myself, you know, uh, skydiving. And then people could download that experience and literally feel like they were me skydiving. So it's like you yeah, can experience yourself. That's one of the interesting things, right? It's not just that you experience skydiving. It's that you experience the other person experiencing skydiving. Yes, it's God. There, there is something on the tip of my tongue, like a movie or or something. I guess being John Malkovich. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, but it's not being John Malkovich. It's like where you, where you can you can see what the other person's doing. Uh, plenty of movies has done have done this before. Um, yeah. but it's basically like you're you're living what they lived as them, basically. Um, and, and, and in those instances, you don't have control. So I think Wade, when he first was experimenting with the Oni, he did like a surfing experience Yeah. and the surfing experience is like, I could not move. Like I, I couldn't physically move. It was almost like I was, I was watching a movie, but I was feeling all of it. Yeah. An on rails experience. Exactly. And so that's basically what, um, what he experienced here. Now, the weird thing is, and he even thought about this, was that we couldn't record ourselves back in the late or early 80s and late 70s. How did he get this recording? Did he just make it himself and just kind of guess at what it, she was like? 
And I have that question too. <laughs> I have that question too, which is where, well, I, I guess we'll get there, you know, theories about what's happening. Sure. So, um, but yeah, the scoreboard lights up. His name is there with one shard next to his name. Five more to go. He's okay. now a sharder. Yep. And um, he keeps true to his word. He uh, he's like, all right, well, you help me get the. Uh... It, it was weird because I was I was reading uh, when I was reading this his experience. She was like, "Hey, I have theories on the other one." He said, "Save it. I don't I don't want to hear it." And I was <laughs> yeah. just like, "What? Like like hello?" Yeah, you 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 you've been trying to find these for years. I, at least I guess there's a little bit of a difference, right? Because there was no clue. No, no more clues, I guess, since the original one that everybody had on where the first shard was. But once the first shard was found, I don't know if Lohengrin could read because the second clue is on the first shard. So could she read it? Or she must have, right? Because if she had clues for where the second one was? Yeah, I would assume you could read it. You just couldn't touch it and put it in your inventory. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's where he gets the second clue. But she was like, "Yeah, I, I have I have an idea for for where another one is." And the way Wade is just like, "Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Save it. I don't I don't. I, I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate your help. I'm good though." And I was yeah. just like, "What are you doing, dude? Like what? Like are are you? Did you have a lapse in judgment for a second there?" <laughs> Uh, but because uh, yes. like, that's like, a big difference, right? The first with the first clue, billions of people had access to the clue. She was the only one that found it. Now for the second clue, provided she doesn't tell anybody, there's only a couple people that even know what the clue is. So he's not going to get help from anyone else, except for the people he tells, right? As far as I know, because the whole oasis doesn't know what the second clue is. No, the whole Aces doesn't even know how he got the first shard. So, I don't know. As far as I know, the only two people that know about it is him and her. I I don't know, but yeah, it, it, I just I just I found I was like, okay, so we're going. So he dropped the douchebag for a moment and then came right back to douchebag. <laughs> yep. I mean. You know, and that's where, again, I I would understand a little bit of him feeling, because they talk about him feeling ashamed that he had to pay for it, and then moreover, specifically feeling like a sixer, because he didn't earn it. So I get that there would be an inclination to want to figure it out yourself, I guess, especially at this point, because as far as he knows, there's no competition at all to find it, right? It's only him. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can I can kind of see him wanting to do it on his own, but, yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't really come across as he wants to do this noble thing. It comes across, he's like petulant. Which I, you know, I, I keep feeling that way about him and Samantha in this in this story so far, right? But no, he, like I said, he stays true to his word. He pays uh, Lodgren the billion dollars, 
and she's very uh, thankful for that. Gives him a big hug, thanks him. This is going to change my life and all my friends' lives. And um, he, um, he, I think, I think he he started uh, had to log out because he was running out of time. Yep. And then I, I like what happens, like the very first thing the next morning. Yeah, because he's like, "Oh, I can't wait for everybody to be talking about me. Let me go see what's on the news feeds." Right? What do they call it? The, the Mead feed. Yeah. <laughs> the media feed. The media feed. There was a few things like they 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 came up with like new uh, new terms for stuff like Earl, uh, the Earl, the Earl, <laughs> in real life, and then in the Oasis. Um, but yeah, so uh, he gets an emergency phone call. Uh, and, and, uh, it's, uh, the, the guy, what's the guy's name? Faisal. Faisal. And he's like, yeah, uh, I don't think you've heard yet, but it's about, uh, Audgren Morrow. And he's like, oh God, Audgren Morrow's 75 years old. He's, I should have tried to reach out to him, but I kind of ruined our, our relationship because when this new Easter egg hunt, I started asking him about his dead wife and he was like, I don't want anything to do with this. Stop talking to me. Yeah. You dread that call. This old yeah. person. You know, we got to talk. And he's like, no, no, he's missing. He's like, what do you mean he's missing? Like, he's gone. The, the, one of his private jets is gone. Um, his surveillance feeds went down at 7 p.m. last night and didn't come back. And he was like, that was close to around the time I got the shard. And he's like, okay. Also, another thing, another, (laughs) another thing in the news, um, Sorrento, you know, the guy that tried to kill you. Uh, yeah, he escaped prison last night. (laughs) Okay. How, um, obviously he had help. Um, all the, uh, it seems like all the security systems in the prison, uh, were hacked and, uh, they specifically let him out and locked everybody else in. And he was like waving to the cameras and bowing to the cameras and stuff like a, like a proper villain should, I guess. Yeah. The thing it reminded me the most of was Metal Gear Solid 4 when he's like doing his finger guns. Yeah. Because I imagine him – because I think they said like he <laughs> he like – he pointed at the door and it opened or something. Yeah, he was he was hand waving at doors and they were open. Yeah. Almost like he was like willing them open. But he wasn't actually doing it, somebody else was. And I'm like, oh well maybe maybe this is <laughs> uh, Yeah. It's just reminded me of Metal Gear Solid Four. Yep. Yep. That's Whew. So yeah, now so Sorrento, uh, who is only about fifty miles away, uh he was he was in a prison, a maximum security prison. Uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio. I feel like they mentioned that a couple of times too. Yeah, like he's not far away from me. Um, oh, but gee, every, I wonder if he's coming back. Well, everybody, everybody, it's like ah, he, he's probably on the run. Like, he, why would he come to you? <laughs> you know, like, well, he is kind of pissed at me, but. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. I, I, I do like a little bit of the um, awareness there when they're like, Oh, don't, don't worry. You've got the best security that money can buy. And he's like, yeah, well, so did Ogden. Yep. And he's gone. So, uh, 
but he 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 also he wants to investigate himself. I mentioned this earlier, but it, it, like and this is where it becomes like okay, so he's playing adult Wade now instead of child Wade. He wants to he logs into one of the security bots and walks around Ognamaro's manor, which is completely um, it, it's like a recreation of Rivendell, yeah, from War of the Rings because Kira was a huge Lord of the Rings fan and he he built the entire place for her. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, he, he goes, uh, and investigates, sees that nothing really is awry. It's not like anybody left like a forcefully or anything like that. Um, and there is one private jet that's gone and he's like, okay, so what happened to Og? Then he didn't leave a note or anything like that. Somebody either kidnapped him or he just up and left and didn't bother to tell anybody. So don't know there. Um, Other weird things are that Sorrento's logs had been deleted. And yeah. he's like, nobody could delete those logs. It's not possible. Yep. Nobody, nobody, not even him. That's the one thing. So how was his how was his his Oasis logs? Because apparently any prisoner can log into the Oasis for an hour every other day or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, um, just to get their fix. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's also weird. Um, after doing his little investigation, he he's stumped. He doesn't know what's what, what's going on. Um. And then he gets a notification. Uh, there's been an update to the leaderboards. Ogden Morrow is now on top of the leaderboards with a shard. The other heir. There you go. So that's, and that's when we realize it's not just him who won. It's anybody who was the heir to Halliday's fortune or a heir to GSS, which is, it could be H, could be Shoto, could be Samantha, could be Parzival, or it could be Ogden Morrow. And if this Easter egg hunt surrounds Kira, who knows her better than the husband? Yep. And which, <laughs> you know, he, you know that he does know her well because. Is it only like ten minutes after the first shard he gets the second one? Is that I, I don't know if that happened in mine. Uh, uh, I think that may happen in the next in the next chapter that I stopped at. <laughs> oh well, it's pretty quick. They're like, oh, you know, t- ten minutes later he has a second shard, and now Wade's feeling very far behind. Oh, gotcha. So yeah, that's that. It kind of left on that cliffhanger of oh crap, Ogden's logging in and getting the shards, and Wade's like. I need to hurry. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, you didn't get to the next chapter? I don't know. I can't remember. The last thing I remember was Ogden made it to the leaderboards and he had a shard. Oh, you stopped maybe 10 minutes before. I don't know if I should say. I won't say. Why not? If it's that well, big of a deal, tell me. I mean, I'm going to read it in the next probably tomorrow. So it, it it's basically the next chapter is what sets the book, sets the challenge of the book. Okay. You get 
to know who the bad guy is, at least ostensibly. Okay. Are you are you dancing around it? Uh. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say it's. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. It's, we'll leave, we'll it, leave it. it the, the book, the, the basically, the book changes in the next chapter. In a good way or a bad way, in your opinion? Uh, probably in a good way. Okay. To be determined, I guess. Yeah, to be determined. Okay. It it, it quickens the pace. We'll say that because a lot of the. A lot of the beginning of the book is world building, and here's what happened since the last time we talked, right? Right. A lot's happened in the last three years. Let me get you up to speed, and here's who likes who, and here's you know here's how I wasted all my time. It's all kind of slow paced in right. that sense. Yeah, a lot of this there, has there been aren't a lot of stakes. Well, that all changes in the next chapter. Is this going to turn into a Black Mirror episode? Ah. Uh, I, feel, I think I feel like it is. I feel like it's going to be one of those you have to do this, and if you don't succeed in this time frame, everybody who's ever logged in on the Oni is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's the book I want to read. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you what what do you think happens either in the next chapter or you know what do you think the point of the book or the focus of the book is. I, I feel like there needs to be, or, or, or something like the Oasis self-destructs or something like that, and you can't ever log into it again. Well, you, you did get to the part where he talks about his nightmare that he keeps having, a recurring yeah. nightmare. Yeah, a recurring nightmare of him him pushing pushing the, uh, the the big red button that shuts down the Oasis uh, yeah. to, the, to the tune of Salt and Peppers. Push it real good. Push it real good. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no shortage of references. That is for sure. So, how do you feel about it so far, Matt? You're farther than me, obviously, but yeah, I'm a good. I'm probably three or four chapters farther. Yeah. I. I. I think I have the opportunity to not be wholly disappointed. But the more I read, the more my expectations kind of lower by degrees because of the things we've already talked about, right? Like I don't expect powerful character moments because I don't think any of the characters are really deep enough to evoke those emotions. I do think there will be some cool ideas, but I don't even want to mention them without you getting just a little bit further so maybe I'll save that okay so unfortunately you you know more than I do so when it comes to predictions you may end up spoiling something for me yeah exactly the things I want to predict yeah might might even give away things that I already know so I I won't say gotcha alright so I'll, I'll I'll at least say that I want more real world stakes I want the I, I don't I'm not worried about their their online characters and avatars and stuff like that. I'm worried about is somebody going to blow up Wade Watts's mansion. That's what I want to know. <laughs> because I feel like the 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 best parts of Ready Player 1 
were not the references or or the 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 Easter egg hunt in general. It was more of the conspiracy. It was yeah. more of, uh, hey, I, I'm having a lot of fun in this virtual world. Also, somebody's trying to kill me in the real world. Him sneaking into IOI and pretending to be a servant for them just so he can infiltrate, that's fun to me. I want some real-world stakes. Yeah. So, assuming Nolan Sorrento isn't the big bad, who do you think it is? Who might it be? So I, ha- I had two. I, ha- I had these thoughts a couple of days ago while I was reading. I said it would be interesting if Samantha turns out to be the villain. She's going to take down the Oasis, even if it means killing her and a bunch of other people. Um, now, if you remember, Sorrento had a reason for shutting down the Oasis, if you remember correctly. Because there was an afterword that Klein wrote. You remember me and you talked about it? Vaguely. And Sorrento had a sister who became like highly addicted to the Oasis. And she ended yeah. up overdosing or dying or something like that. And he that's when he decided, I'm going to win this to shut it down, if you remember correctly. And I'm curious if this is if that's still canon, and if that's still his motivation. Yeah, interesting because they do bring up, you know, in the disagreements that Wade and Samantha have, right? There's a couple of times where he brings up and wants to bring up her parents, and apparently they died in like an epidemic or a pandemic or something. Yeah, and his point being that had they only been logged in and interacting digitally, they would not have gotten sick. And they do spend a lot of time touting all the potential benefits of a fully connected world like this. Whereas she's railing against it, like, haven't you seen The Matrix? I say Black Mirror episode because there was a Black Mirror <laughs> episode called uh, San Giornapino where people close to the end of their lives could upload their consciousness to a server and live there forever. Perhaps that is it where people will forever be trapped in the Oasis. Yeah, there's also the, I don't know if you've watched it, the Amazon Prime show called Upload. No, I haven't seen that. Similar, like there's a whole world that's digital, and people people upload their their consciousness into the into that world. Gotcha. So that may be that may be the case. I don't know. I'm I'm just spitballing ideas here. <coughs> or they could all just be dead, and and this is some kind of hell or purgatory. We're going back to that theory again. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. One of these days, it's not going to be Dungan Rapa, but it's going to be one of them. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so far, I feel like I'm not. I don't hate this book, and I don't mind it. I'm, I'm, I, I am getting to the point where I'm starting to roll my eyes at some of the things that that are mentioned in this book. Yeah, 
I, yeah, I'm definitely doing some of that, and I'm definitely aware of some of the lack of depth. But on the other hand, it's it's kind of like a, a lighthearted popcorn adventure. Sure. And, you know, maybe it depends as much on my mood as it does on the book, but... You know, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm I'm happy to be reading it. I just don't expect a ton out of it. Right. This is no Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's not going to be life changing. No. Or sphere. But but also again, reading it following Oculus, it's interesting to extrapolate and think about where we might be in twenty years, assuming that VR continues to advance and. You know, they, they keep putting out new generations like they do regular video game consoles, and you're able to see that kind of generation-to-generation advancement. I don't think we'll ever get there, Matt. I don't... I, I We've had VR before, and sure, the technology is getting better. I've experienced it myself. It's really cool technology, but it is niche technology that I don't think will ever take hold. The majority of people don't want to play their games like that. Yeah, myself included. It's 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 a fun tech demo for me. Yeah, yeah, and, and I wonder. You know, it's interesting. Meta's whole approach to it. We want you to do all of your business in the metaverse. You know, not just gaming. Well, they, you know, I think didn't didn't they finally come out and say that like Meta had like maybe six current logger logins, you know? Yeah, something ridiculous. It was something really bad. Like even (laughs) even their even the employees weren't using it. Yeah, and even like even Palmer Lucky and John Carmack have basically said it's not very good. Yeah. Like if, I mean, Meta Horizon or whatever the main like hub is. Yeah. So I I don't know that that's just me though. I think it is a fantasy. Yeah. But. Ah. But yeah, that's that's uh that's it. Um, that's as far as I read, so I can't really discuss much of anything else. Um, let me double check and see if there were any emails. I didn't see any. No, no emails this week. That's okay, though. I know there's a couple people reading along with us. I'm I'm sure they'll get to us eventually. If you would like to send an email, it is drew at ztgd.com. You can also tweet to us. I am at DMLFury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGDPhoenixDown. But yeah... Cautiously optimistic. I, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see what the what the stakes are. Matt, you seem yeah. to know what the stakes are. Yep, I, I know what the stakes are at least. And, and I I uh, it seems like it it kind of kicks it up a notch, and I'm for that. Let's 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 do some let's do some some peril. You know. Yeah, there's some peril. Okay, good. That's what I want to hear. So. And I'm assuming they're making a movie of this one too. With Steve, uh, yeah, with, I assume so. With Spielberg directing, they're also supposed to be making a movie of Hermada. Really? Apparently. 
Okay, interesting. You can always just go back and watch the 1985 classic, uh, <laughs> you know, The Last Starfighter. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a complete ripoff of that. <laughs> yep. For the most part. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be it for us. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. Until next time, though, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we are out of here. You guys have a great week, and we'll be back with a continuation of Ready Player Two. Yeah.